Happy New Year! It is great to see you this morning and uh, so glad that you are here. If you have your Bibles, take them with me if you would please and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Whether you have that in a print or in a digital form, you're going to want to follow along. We're going to read through an extended passage of scripture uh, there this morning. And it is uh, great to have you here on this first Sunday in 2015 and so glad you're here. Uh, For some of you... Um, it is a, is a big deal, a new year. I know some people that just love that feeling of turning the page on the calendar, putting up the new calendar. It's like you get a brand new start, and they love that for other people. They have very clearly said to me, it's just another day, and uh, it's not a, not a big deal. Either way, it's a good opportunity for us to take time and think about uh, taking stock of our own lives, where we are, what the last year was like, where this next year will go. If you are in the process of making some resolutions, some of you do that, some of you don't do that. If you are, one of the resolutions that you may make may have to do with your physical person. For some of you, it's this next year, I'm going to exercise. For some of you, I'm going to lose some weight. For some of you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to diet. I'm going to start eating right. For some of you, you've already said, well, I'm four days in and I'm a lost cause, right? It's done. I'm over. We're going to launch a series for the next few weeks where we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and we're calling it bodybuilding. I know you took one look at me and said, he must be an expert on the topic, right? (laughs) Is the thought. Um, And we're not talking about physical bodybuilding. We're talking about um, something different with regards to building ourselves up spiritually. We're going to look at it from a personal perspective. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about it, how I individually can grow in my faith. We're going to talk about it from a, a, a corporate perspective, how we as the church can grow in our faith. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that throughout the New Testament, the term is used, the body of Christ, to describe the people of God, to describe those that are believers in Jesus, to talk about the church. And so that's where we get this title for this series of messages that we're calling Bodybuilding. Ephesians chapter 4 will be the passage of scripture that we'll primarily look at over the course of the next several weeks. And uh, let me share a couple of scriptures with you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, when Paul is talking about the role of leaders in the church, he says their role is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Do you see where we got that name? Body building. How do we build up the body of Christ? Here's another example of that. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. Just a few verses later, Paul says, From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So we're going to take these next few weeks. Here's, here's who this series of messages is really for. For some of you, maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe your relationship with Jesus Christ is a new thing. And you're learning about how do I grow in that? How do I know more about what my part is and what the role of the church is? Then this is going to be really significant for you. For others of you, you have an idea of what the church is or what the church should be like. But it's shaped largely by your experiences in the past. Maybe they were healthy. Maybe they weren't so healthy. But what we're going to do is go back to scripture and see what the Bible tells us about what the church should be like. Sounds like a good idea, right? And then for many of us, maybe we're very familiar with the church, we're familiar with this passage of scripture, but it's a good opportunity for us to look at our own lives, are we growing, and the role that God wants us to play in the life of his church. We we often take time in in the beginning of the year 
to talk about a series of messages that helps us to look forward and to look into the future, both for ourselves and for the church. We're going to talk about the vision that God has given to us as a church and look at this. And Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 4 will greatly help us with that. Here's how he begins. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now before we get into chapter 4, verse 1 causes some things to stir up inside of my head that I think we need to talk about first. Two things, go back to that passage of scripture on the screens and listen to what Paul says. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, that word then is very significant because he's pointing his readers back to the things that he already said. The book of Ephesians is is a really interesting book. Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus, which we now call Ephesians, because he loved this church. Ephesus was the city that Paul spent more time in as a pastor than any other. He started the church in Ephesus. He loved the people there. He invested in them. You can see this as you read through the book of Acts, as you read through this letter. He loved this church. So this letter, and it's one of my favorites in the New Testament, is very significant. Here's what Paul does. He takes the first three chapters and he outlines for them great theology. He talks to them about who God is and what he's done for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ. He talks about how Christ's death and resurrection changed everything for us. We are no longer enemies of God. We went from being his enemies to being his friends. And we're all equal because of what Christ has done. Paul gives such a clear explanation in the book of Ephesians about what salvation is. And he does that in the first three chapters. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Then when you get to chapter 4 and on through the next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, the second half of the book, he kind of shifts gears. He goes from theology to practice, from what we believe to what we do. You know those two things go together, right? What you think will determine who you are. Your values will determine your actions. What you believe will have great influence on how you live. And so what Paul says is, based on this theology, who God is, what he's done for us, this is how you should live your life. So when Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then... He's pointing them back to everything he said in the first three chapters. He wants them to go back and consider the things that he's already said to them. So listen to what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul, what are you talking about? What is this calling? The calling has to deal with the things that he already told us about. So we need to take a look back at the first three chapters of Ephesians before we're able to understand how he wants us to live in the next three. In particular, what he's going to say to us in chapter 4 about growing in our faith and the future of the church. And so what we're going to do today to be able to get a good read on what Paul was talking about in the first three chapters is to go to the passage of Scripture that Paul gives to us just before he says this. So we're going to look at the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 3 today so that we can understand the best way that we can be involved in building up ourselves, the body of Christ, whether it be individually or corporately. Here's what's really cool about this. That last portion of Scripture is a prayer. It's a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. It's a prayer that Paul prayed for the church that he loved. And here's my challenge to you. As we start a new year, I'm going to ask you to pray the same prayer. Here's your, your homework. That every day this week, 
whether it's first thing in the morning or whether it's last thing before you go to bed, whether you already have a routine of Scripture and prayer or not, that you would take this passage of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and that you would make it your prayer for the church, just like Paul did, that you would make it your prayer for people in your world. And here's what I'm going to kind of uh, maybe even selfishly ask you to do. Make it your prayer for yourself. In fact, today we're going to talk about praying in this way, in, in the sense of the first person, so that you will, will personally own this idea of this is how Paul instructs us. It's the model that he gives us for praying, and maybe very significantly as we go into a new year. So let me read this prayer to you. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time this morning. Ephesians three fourteen. here's what Paul says. He says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, not a him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now that's a powerful prayer. We're going to take it and break it down this morning, and I hope this will help you as you go into a new year. Here's what I want to give to you. I want to give you five ways to pray for the year ahead. As you launch this new year, and I hope you'll take time to personally pray through this passage of Scripture over the course of this next week, let me give you five ways to pray for the year ahead. And we'll, we'll look at this as we go through. Let's pick up with verse 14, and we'll talk about the first way. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. For this reason I kneel before the Father. How do we pray for the year ahead? Here's the first thing. I pray humbly. I pray humbly humbly where where do you get this idea here's what paul starts with he says for this reason i kneel before the father now when you kneel when you get down in a kneeling position it's very significant it shows that you understand that you are in the presence of someone who has more authority who has more ability It, it, it makes a statement it is an act of humility i kneel before the father and so this is significant in fact often in christian thought and christian history there's this idea of kneeling connected to prayer now that's not the only way the bible tells us sometimes we stand to pray sometimes we pray loudly sometimes we pray quietly but sometimes and what paul encourages us here is that our prayer is done with an act of humility So Paul says, I kneel before the Father. Why? Well, two things that I think we see here. The the first is this. I pray with humility because I am humbled by what Christ has done for me. I am humbled by what Christ has done for me. Paul begins by saying, for this reason, I kneel. Why? Because he just spent three chapters talking to us about how great God is. About what God has done for us. 
In chapter 1, he talks to us about his glorious riches. In chapter 2, he talks about Christ's sacrifice and the difference that that makes. He goes on in chapter 3 to help us to see how majestic all that is. Paul takes all this time to help us to see what Jesus did for us was amazing. If you stop and think about it, the fact that the creator of the universe would send his only son to die for you and me when you and I have basically done nothing but disappoint him, right? (laughs) We've rebelled against him. Even in our best day, we fall short of his plan and his design. And in the midst of that, that he would be willing to send his son to die for us is amazing. And we need to go to prayer when we address the Father. We cannot forget the things that Jesus has done for us. I'm humbled by what Christ has done for me. However, it's probably not our practice. Because I'm real familiar with that. You tell me Jesus loves me, and I say, I know. (laughs) I've heard it over and over again. I'm thankful for it. It's great. But here's how so many times we live our lives. We sing this little song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Or that's the way the story goes. I've heard it so frequently. It doesn't mean that much to me. Ouch. It's true, isn't it? I get used to hearing it. I know over and over again that Jesus loves me. And I fail to think about, what does that really mean? And maybe God sent some painfully mediocre singing your way today to remind you. That when we say Jesus loves you, it's it's huge. Paul says, for this reason, because of what Christ has done for me. I bow my knee and I'm humbled by what Christ has done. He also says that I'm humbled when I am before the Father. I'm humbled when I am before the Father. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. Now that word before just seems like a little word that's just in there to help us to understand. So much more significant when you look at it in the Greek. The idea is this. When I say I'm before the Father, it means we're face to face. We're eyeball to eyeball. We have relationship. We have communication that happens. So when you kneel before God, you do it not just speaking out into the void. We'll talk about that in a moment. You're humbly before the creator of the universe. He knows you and he loves you and he wants you to be able to communicate with him with relationship based on an intimacy that you can have face to face with God himself. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look, when we pray, we don't go into prayer with a sense of entitlement. God, you owe me. When we pray, we don't go into prayer with a sense of frustration. God, this is wrong. When we pray, if we're going to pray in a way that's healthy, we go in with a sense of humility. Paul says, I bow the knee, and I remember what Christ has done for me, and I remember who it is that I'm talking to, and I'm humbled that I get to pray to my Father. And he expands that for us. So I want you to think about this. As you pray going into the year ahead, number one, pray humbly. Number two, look at what Paul says again in verse 14. He says, for this reason... I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Here's a second way to pray for the year ahead. Number two, I pray to my Father. Number two, I pray to my Father. 
Now this is, this is really significant for us to see and to know and to understand. Because it tells us two things. One about ourselves, another about God. The first is this, that when I pray to my father, I make this statement that I am a child of my father. I am a child of my father. That has to do with my identity. That has to do with relationship. Think about how God wants us to speak to him. Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, says, Our Father. When Paul shows us how to pray, he says he's praying to the Father. Why is this so significant? Because God is a king. He is the ruler of the whole universe. He is the king of everything. But when we pray, we don't necessarily pray to some far distant king who we can't have relationship with. And God is awesome and he is mighty and he's greater than anything. But when we pray, we don't call him that. Like we're speaking out to something empty in the void that maybe we, is actually just angry with us. When we pray, we pray to our father. Someone who knows us and cares about us and has relationship with us. That changes the whole dynamic. So when you pray, you're not just hoping putting something out there and maybe there'll be a, a, a holy echo that comes back you are having conversation you are communicating with someone who loves you and knows you he is your father john chapter 1 verse 12 yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will but born of God. He's not just a king. He's not just the maker of the universe. He is your father. And if your identity is in him as your father, then you can rest in that. You can find peace in that. You can find hope in that. Listen to what Jesus said to us. John chapter 10, verse 29. He says, My father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. He loves you. And you can find confidence and identity in that relationship. I was thinking about this, and it made me think about this fact. Um, I, I did not have a traumatic childhood. I had wonderful parents. I was, I was very blessed. I had a great uh, growing up, good family. I don't, I don't have anything to complain about. But I had, and I don't know why, and my mom's in the service. She probably doesn't even know this. I, I had like unrational fears as a kid. I don't know if you had any, any of this, but I can clearly remember that there were times when I would go to bed at night and I would be afraid that when I would wake up, my parents would be gone. Like, I would just lay in bed and be afraid of this. Now, maybe I was that kind of kid, and maybe, Mom, you thought about leaving. I don't know um, how that played out. But I can, I, can honestly, I can remember laying in bed. I don't know if I thought they were going to get kidnapped or if they were just going to, like, hitchhike across the country. I don't know. But I just, I would lay in bed and think, I'm going to wake up and my parents aren't going to be here. They're going to be gone and I'm going to be all by myself. And I'd have this fear. And I remember that in the midst of laying there and having that fear, there would be one sound that would bring me hope and it would bring me peace and it would bring me reassurance. And when I would have that fear, it would change everything. My, my dad's spiritual gift was snoring. Okay? And I could, I could lay in my bed in my room and I could very clearly hear him over in his room. And if I had that fear and I was laying there and if I could hear my dad snoring, that was the most wonderful sound. Didn't you think it was wonderful, Mom? I mean, it was... Uh, maybe not for her. But for me, you know what it meant? It meant he was there. It meant that as his child, I didn't have to worry. 
His presence was there. He was beside me. He was someone I could rely on. Here's the good news. When you pray, you don't just pray out empty into the universe. You pray to your Father, and He doesn't snore. Isn't that good news? He hears you wide awake. So Paul says, when you pray, pray to your Father. On one hand, because you're His child. Here's the second thing. Because my Father is the source of all things. My Father is the source of all things. What does Paul say? He says that every family in heaven and on earth derives its name from Him. You know what that means? We all come from Him. We all find ourselves from Him. He is the source of our lives and of everything that we have. My Father is the source of all things. Now, I don't know what you're facing in the year ahead. I don't know what's going to come your way. I don't know what you're going to be up against. I don't know what kind of call you're going to receive. I just know this, that in the year ahead, as you face those things, God is there for you. He's alongside of you, and he can be the source to help you in the midst of everything that you face because there is no limit to his power. There is no hindrance to his capability. My Father is the source of all things. Now, if you were looking for the source of a great gift, Let's say you were going to buy something and you wanted to buy something wonderful for me, maybe for your spouse, maybe for a good friend or family member. If you were going to buy something extravagant, would you go to the 7-Eleven? I'm going to challenge you today in your thinking. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven Give good gifts to those who ask him. Does your father give you good gifts? Then go to Matthew 7, 11 and put your trust in him. I just served you up a spiritual slurpee and you didn't even see it coming. But you'll remember, Matthew 7, 11. Your father gives good gifts to those who ask him. He is the source of all things. So Paul says when we pray, we pray humbly, we pray to our Father. What do we pray for? Let's go back to the text. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. Paul says, I pray. And 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 catch this for a minute. Because what what I'm about to walk you through here may be the most important thing that you've heard all year. <laughs> Which isn't saying much. We're only 4 days in. But don't take this for granted. For some of you, What you're about to see in God's word could be life to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here's what you should pray for. Number three, I pray for inner strength. Number three, I pray for inner strength. Some of you are tired and you're frustrated. Some of you, it's just the busyness of the holidays. Some of it's because you you got an imposing task in 2015. Some of you, it's just you're just you're just tired. And here's what Paul says. Paul says that he prays that the church he loves will experience an inner strength. Where's the strength come from? First, strength comes from the Spirit's power. Strength comes from the Spirit's power. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my, does anybody know? Spirit, says the Lord. In fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. He comes alongside of us and He gives us what we need. He empowers us, He fills us. 
you know, sometimes you have a, a device that you put batteries into it, and it works, and it runs for a while, and it does pretty good, but then eventually the batteries start to lose their power, don't they? And what you have to do is you either have to replace them, or here's the great thing, you can recharge those batteries and put them back in. And for many of you, you're the vessel, you're the tool, and you've been trying to do it on your own strength and power, and you're just running out, and God wants you to know that he can strengthen you, he can recharge your batteries, he can help you. Now, if there's work that needs done, you can't just pray, God, do the work. You've got to do the work, but he'll empower you. If there's decisions that you've got to make, you've got to make them, but he'll empower you. If there's a conversation you need to have where you either need to repent or you've got to speak the truth in love and you're not so sure you can do it, you've still got to have the conversation, but you don't have to do it on your own. He will empower you. That test you've got to take, that project that you have to complete, whatever it is, he will come alongside of you and he promises you that out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you with power. He will recharge you if you look to him. And for some of you, the reason you're strong Struggling, the reason you're frustrated, the reason you're tired or disappointed is because you've been trying so hard on your own and you fail to say, God, I need you to strengthen me. Lord, I need your power. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 tells us this, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Strength comes from the spirit's power. Hurricane Andrew hit South Florida in 1992, devastating what it did to that portion of our country. There was a woman whose house was severely damaged by the hurricane, and when she got back, she realized that she had no electricity. The other thing she knew is that she had no money, and so she decided, I'll just make the best of it. And so she had a little camp stove, and she had a little light, and she just went back to her existence without electricity when i read about this it said that they were describing how she how she lived and it said that in the in the in the winter when the chill came to south florida she had no way to heat her home and i really didn't shed any tears for her on that south florida in the winter come on right but in the summer when it was 100 plus degrees she had no air conditioning and she had no hot water and she didn't have many of the things that you and i are used to in that scenario she she went like that without any electricity in her home for 15 years she just didn't do anything about it and one day somebody said something to the mayor of that town and the mayor said this isn't right and so he pulled some strings and had an electrician go over do you know the electrician went over and in about three hours she had power back to her home it really wasn't that big of a deal it was able to be fixed she just didn't do anything about it she went all those years living in existence that she didn't have to live because she hadn't found the source of the power that was readily available to us. Do you see where I'm going with this? For some of you, you're tired and you're frustrated and you're struggling and you've gone year after year living without the power that Scripture says is right there available to us if you'll just ask for it. See, strength comes to us from the Spirit's power. He also tells us that strength comes from Christ's presence. Christ's very presence with us. Here's how he says in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's saying that the very presence of Christ brings power to our lives. Now remember who Paul's writing to. He's writing to the church that is filled with the Ephesians in the city of Ephesus. And if you look at the history of that time, if you walk through the book of Acts, you'll know that the city of Ephesus was a center for idol worship. They actually manufactured false gods there. 
It was a place that was steeped in worshiping false deities. And what Paul is saying to the people there, he says, look, in the midst of a city, in the midst of a world that worships things that just aren't real, things that can't help you, the one real God, he actually dwells with you. And the presence of Christ will bring you strength. You don't have to flounder on your own. The very source of strength is right there with you, which is why Paul says this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. So when you pray, pray humbly to your Father. Ask Him for strength in your inner person. Here's a fourth thing. Let's go back to the text. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Fourth thing Paul encourages us, number four, I pray for love. Number four, I pray for love. In fact, he he spends the most time in this prayer talking about that idea of love. If we were to describe God in one word, in fact, the Apostle John did in 1 John, he says this, he says God is love. So God is is centrally love. It's at the heart of who he is. If you had to just sum him up with one attribute, the attribute, Scripture tells us, is that he is love. So what does this tell us? Three things out of this. One, the love of Christ should be my foundation. As I pray, I need to realize that the love of Christ should be my foundation. Here's what he says. He says that you should be rooted in, and established that you're rooted the king james version says and grounded in love two interesting pictures that he paints here because when he uses the word rooted he's pulling that from the agricultural world because a plant has roots that go down into the ground right and they make it secure and then the nutrients come from that and based on how those roots go then that's the fruit that comes out of that plant so paul says this your foundation you should be rooted in love and as a result there should be fruit that comes out of your life that shows love not only are you rooted but you're established you're grounded that's not an agricultural picture that's a a construction picture that comes out of the idea that there's a foundation so your life is both tied into and set upon the idea that the love of christ is in us now that's critical for us to realize because if that's true then the fruit that comes out of our life the foundation of who we are should be love and and that's that's really central to this whole series that we're talking about are you growing in your faith Do you see more and more evidence in your life of the love of Christ at work in you? Do you see it in the way you interact with others? Do you see it in the way you you deal with the challenges that come your way? Is it evident in how you face the the issues and and perceive the, the challenges of the world around us? Is love a fruit that comes out of your life as a church, as an individual? Here's what Paul says, Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor circumcision has any value. The only thing that counts. Isn't that huge? Listen to what he says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's paramount to who we are. And it might be a good time for you to do a little evaluation. And say, is love evident in my life? Do you remember the, the passage of scripture we looked at last week? We looked at it, Philippians chapter 4. One of the things that Paul instructed us to do in that passage, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And, and that idea of gentleness was that I put other people in front of myself, that I consider their well-being more than my own, that, that I do what is right, that I show love. That's what that idea is, and we talked about that. 
This week I had a, a situation come my way that, that I was not crazy about. In fact, do you have pet peeves? Does anybody have pet peeves? This was one of my pet peeves. And it just, it irritated me. And I was just frustrated by it. And so uh, Rhonda and I were not in the same place. And, and it's just, you know, at some point you just want to say something. And you can say snide, sarcastic things by a text message and not get caught, right? Have you mastered that spiritual gift? And so I pulled out my phone. And I just text Rhonda. It's like, this is driving me crazy. Rhonda sends me a text message back that says this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. I'm like, look, lady, I preach the sermons around here. Back off. I don't need that from you. I want a little sarcasm. Not scripture, woman. You know? She's right. What's the natural response? If, if, if I'm rooted and established in love, then, then the fruit that will come out of me is, is love. It'll be God's love evident in my life. So we pray for that. Lord, let your love be shown in me, be rooted and grounded, and help me to understand this. Listen to what else Paul says. Paul says that the love of Christ is beyond my comprehension. He says that the love of Christ is beyond my comprehension. Here's his exact words. He says, may you have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is beyond my comprehension. Listen to what he said there, because this is crazy. He says, I hope you will understand that God's love is something you cannot understand. I hope you will realize and comprehend that you cannot comprehend God's love. It's paradoxical. It's crazy. He says, I want you to understand what you'll never be able to understand. How big God's love is. Have you ever been to the ocean? You stand on the shore and you look at it and you just say, that's, that's huge. And eventually you just kind of look at it long enough and you realize, I will never be able to comprehend just how big and deep and wide that thing is. And once you understand that the ocean is too big for you to understand, then you really understand how big it is, right? Paul says, God's love is so big and so great that you'll never get it. And once you realize that you won't get it, that's when you really get it. That's when you really understand that your sin does not limit his love. And that your failures does not limit how deep his love is for you. And how lost you think something is has no bearing on how great and wide and far God's love can reach. There's no limit to it. And once you understand that you can't understand it, then you really understand just how great his love is. Do you understand? I'm confused, but I think I got it. His love is great. His love is our foundation. His love we cannot comprehend. And let me give you one last thought on this, that the love of Christ supplies the fullness of God in our lives. That the love of Christ supplies the fullness of God in our lives. Paul says that he wants us to know this love, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That he's what's at the heart of our lives. That who we really are is exemplified in the person and the love of Jesus Christ. You ever gone to the grocery store? Let me just give you an example. Maybe you go to the grocery store and you want to buy a bottle of juice and you pick up, let's just let's call it something a little obscure. It's pomegranate juice, okay? And you go in and you're going to pick up some pomegranate juice and you look at it and on the label it says it's 100% juice. And you're like, cool, that's great, that's what I want. And then you turn it over and you start reading the ingredients. And you see that there's all these ingredients and after you get through several of them, then you see that it says that there's pomegranate in it. 
And you're like, I thought, I thought this was all there. But there were all these other kinds of juices and there's water and all this stuff. And there's just enough pomegranate in there so that you taste it. It's flavored like pomegranate juice, but it's not filled with pomegranate juice. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, that's shady, right? Here's, here's my question. Are you filled with the love of Christ or do you just have a little flavor of it? Is God's love what fills you? Is Jesus what's at the heart of you? Or do you just have enough flavor that people think that that's what's there, but that's not what's really there? If I took you and turned you over and looked at your ingredients, it would be quite frightening, right? But if we looked at your ingredients, would we find that the main ingredient in your life is Jesus? Is it his love? Because at the heart of what he wants to do is to have you be so filled with who he is that it determines who you are and how you live. That's why Paul says that when you pray, that I humbly pray to my Father and I ask him for inner strength and I ask him for love. And let me give you one last thing. Number five, I love this. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all the church said, amen. Amen. Here's what Paul says there. He says, when you pray, number five, I pray for more. God, give me more. Give me increasingly, exceedingly, abundantly more, immeasurably more Here's what he tells us. He tells us that God can do more than I can ask. He can do more than I can ask. He can do more than I can comprehend. Sometimes when we pray, we say, God, I I wish you would do this. God, I think you can do this. And he can do more than that, immeasurably more than what we can ask. In fact, the the trick is this. He knows what we need even before we ask. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So God can do more than I ask, but also God can do more than I imagine. He can do more than I can even comprehend. Not just what I can ask, but God can do more than I can imagine. He's not confined or or limited by what's in my head. He can do so much more. I read a, read a story this week about a guy who, um, and I, I don't know what he did, but when he was in the sixth grade, he did something very significant. So much so that his parents wanted to congratulate them and show, them how, show him how wonderful they thought what he, he did was. And so what happened was his dad said, come on, let's, let's get in the car. And they went to the store. And again, I don't, I don't know what it was, but they walked into Kmart. He said Kmart. Does anybody remember Kmart? Remember Kmart? So this was the story was a while back. And he walked into Kmart and, and said to his son, look, son, anything in here you want, it's yours. Your mother and I are so proud of you. We're excited for what's going on in your life. And we just want you to know how much we support you. So anything in here that you want, you buy it. He was like, whoa, this is awesome. And he started looking through the store and saw all this stuff and thought about how much money his family had, all these different things. And he's like, okay. Um, and he picked something out that was about $50 worth. And he, and he said, Dad, can I get this? Dad's like, anything you want. So he bought it, and it was nice, and he loved it, and he enjoyed it. Years later, his dad told him the rest of the story. His dad said, son, when we went to Kmart that day, I didn't know what you'd, you'd want, but we were so proud of you that I, I had $1,000 in cash in my pocket. That kind of blows my mind, doesn't it? <laughs> Blow yours? He says, not only that, but I had my checkbook, that if you just kind of went crazy, we'd be ready. 
Because I wanted you to know that no matter what you wanted, there was no limit. You could, you could have that. Your father would say to you that he can do more than you can ask or imagine. He's not limited by the $50 mindset that you have. And he's got more than 1000 in his pocket. He can do immeasurably more than all you can ask or you can imagine. So when you pray, my challenge to you is pray for more with this one last thought. God can do more than I ask or I can imagine and God receives all the glory. He gets all the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Paul says he gets all the glory and we give it to him and here's why. Because you're going to give glory somewhere. You're going to give glory to a person. You're going to give glory to yourself. You're either going to receive it. You're going to give it. It's kind of like the, the breath that comes out, the wind that comes out and blows. Glory, glory is just going to happen naturally. Now here's what happens. If you give glory to yourself, it's like blowing up a balloon. And if you blow up a balloon and you're kind of glory, 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 what eventually happens to the balloon? <laughs> it pops. You're not meant to handle that. But if you give glory to God, it's, it's, it's not like wind going into a balloon, but it's like wind going into the sails of a large sailboat. Anybody ever been on a sailboat? That wind comes up and it fills that sail and it's majestic and it's beautiful and then it moves you further forward into the places and the things you want to see and where you want to go because when you give God glory, it helps him to be in a place where he can do in your life immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. So when you pray, humbly pray to your Father and ask him for inner strength and for love And don't fail to ask Him for more. This week, as you pray through that passage of Scripture, don't forget that He's a God who can do immeasurably more than all you can ask or you can imagine. Several years ago in in Great Britain, there were researchers who went door to door and they were doing some, some surveys and they were asking people about their belief in God. Here's one of the questions that they asked people. They said, do you believe in a God who intervenes in human history? A God who changes the course of affairs and a God who performs miracles. And what they found was that there was this typical answer that people would give. It was common among people to give an answer like this. So much that when they finally published the study, they they titled the study based on this one man's response. They asked him, do you believe in a God who still does miracles? And here's what he said. He said, nah, I don't believe in that God. I believe in the ordinary God. And just for the record... The words ordinary and God should never be used together, should they? (laughs) See, he's greater. And I don't want you going into 2015 just thinking that you've got an ordinary God that you're serving. Your Father can bring you strength and love and more in a way that goes above and beyond all you can ask or imagine. And that's a good way to pray going into 2015, isn't it? So let's do that. I want to take just a moment and I want to model for you what I hope you'll do throughout the course of this next week. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and and keep them open to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to lead us in this prayer. I'd love for you to see it in front of you as we pray. And here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to simply um, pray through this passage for the year ahead and ask God to help us 
as we lead and as we live and as we serve him as we go into 2015. And here's, here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to I practice like Paul did. And he says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And I'm, I'm going to kneel here as we lead in this prayer. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. And I know physically some of you can't do this. You don't need to feel any kind of pressure in this. But if somehow God maybe spoke to you through this today, you're physically able. And you might say, God, I need your strength. I need your love. God, I need you to do immeasurably more. Then I'd invite you to kneel right where you are. You might want to just kneel right where you are. You might want to turn and kneel at your seat. I, I came in last night to make sure that you can, you can do it. You, you can do it. I, I'm not saying it's going to be comfortable, but you can do it. <laughs> but let's just take a moment. And if, if maybe God's speaking to you through his word today, I challenge you just to kneel even right where you are. And let's make this our prayer together today. And Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. And Heavenly Father, we kneel before you because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus, I don't deserve your grace. And I've certainly never merited your mercy. But you gave it. And because of that, Father, I can, I can face-to-face speak with you today. And Lord, for that reason, we humbly come before you today. When we kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, Lord, thank you that I'm your child. And I don't have to worry about your presence or your care. You're not angry or lording over me. Instead, you desire a relationship with me as my heavenly Father. And I'm your child, and you are the source of all things. Lord, thank you for truths like Matthew 7, 11 that remind us that there's a God who loves us that wants to give good gifts to his children. Lord, you know the needs in this room. Lord, you know the places where we feel like we have deficit going into 2015. Would you provide And Lord, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you would strengthen us with your power through your spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. God, we need your strength. So Lord, would you recharge the batteries of those who are spiritually tired today? Lord, I pray for the one who maybe has gone years without your strength in their life, and in this moment, that they would say, Father, I need your strength for that conversation, for that project, for that relationship, to deal with that challenge, or to walk through this season. Lord, I need your Spirit's inner strength and the presence of Christ dwelling with me. And Lord, we pray that being rooted and established in love, that there would be the fruit of love, that our, that our gentleness would be evident to all, and that we would have power together as the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. God, that you would remind us of your incredible greatness and that we would comprehend just how much we can't comprehend who you are and that we would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God Jesus, that you and your love would not just be a flavor, but that it would fill us, that you would be the main ingredient. 
And now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to His power that is at work within us. Lord, we pray for more. Because right now we're not so sure that there's an answer to what we're facing. And it seems like the lostness of our parents or our children or our friends or our family is too great. And how, how would they ever experience your love? Or that this financial difficulty is too big to surmount. Or that that marriage is too far gone. Or that this job is a dead end. Or that I'll never be able to finish that project or pass that test or move on. Or maybe it's just the the fear that's in my head that I can't seem to move past. Lord, we know and we pray for more because you are able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And with that in mind, Lord, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever endeavor now lord for this church i pray that as we go into 2015 would you remind us of your greatness that your strength and your love and your more would characterize us as individuals and as your body as father we humbly look to you send us out from here with your special favor and your wonderful peace and we ask this in jesus name amen god bless you have a great week thanks for being here we'll see you next sunday